Welcome to Double Barrel Non-Duality. Today's guest is, drumroll please, Suzanne Chang. She's here to visit, say hi, and play with us today. Hi. You can hear me okay? Yep. Cool. Do I stay muted too? Uh, uh, you don't necessarily have to, as long as you don't have background noise. Yeah. Okay. I think you're good. Yeah. If there's like, you know, sounds in the background and stuff, sometimes it gets a little choppy, but otherwise you should be fine. Um, so let's see who wants to put their hands up and we can get rolling. How are you, by the way, Suzanne? Oh, really good. Happy to be here. Good. Yeah. Thank you for coming. I really appreciate uh -huh. it. No, thanks for the invite. Okay. Let's get started with Marcy. Hello. Hello. Can you see me? Yes. Okay. It's Marcy. Marcy. <laughs> yeah. And um, so I have my question today has to do with devotion. Um, devotion uh, to truth or, or, you know, putting, placing consciousness or awareness in the heart um, area or dropping it down and into kind of the heart area seems to help me stay out of my mind um, and more in presence and, and less just generally kind of freaked out by the kind of stuff that's coming through these days, which has been a little difficult. Mm. So yeah, if you could speak to that. Suzanne, do you have anything specific on that? You go first. Okay, I will. <laughs> um, I think there were times for me when that type of practice or perhaps moving attention into, into the body more than in the head or into the chest or heart space um, seemed to happen. It seemed to happen more spontaneously, I think. Uh, intuition led that led that to happening i suppose um i think it, it's it's helpful and valuable to also look behind the scenes a bit and just see well what are my agendas with this am i trying to not feel something am i trying to avoid anything um it may not be the case at all it may just be a very natural place for your attention to flow in the moment but always being a bit alert for any any sort of background agendas or identity processes to, to start running in these situations can be helpful because you mentioned external life circumstances as well. Um, and while, again, it can be very natural for attention to move into the, to the heart space, the chest, the gut, various parts of the body, or anywhere, uh, that can happen at the same time as this sort of partially conscious background 
identity structure sort of floating around. And it can just be helpful to realize that's there if it is. Um, if it is, there's nothing specific to do about it. Just the the knowing of it is helpful often. Uh, and sometimes it just kind of relaxes the whole thing. Also, just in asking that question, I could be wrong, but I sense just a bit of, almost like a bit of doubt about it. Um, or why, why, why even question doing that? Uh, and that often is a sort of signature that there may be some background material that's just not quite accepting something. And it may be something very simple in the moment. And it may be something, you know, deeper and more uh, like an ongoing process in you or your life. So those are the things that came when uh, when you asked the question. Yeah, so, so the... You don't speak about it much. I mean, you don't use that in your book, uh, you know, and and so that was one reason I wanted to ask you about it. And the my life, it, it's more like the material that's coming up now, um, just spontaneously, can be, um, you know, it's just difficult stuff coming and kind of throw me into a mental state of agitation and so this is what i'm when i'm speaking of the devotion it's like okay i'm devoted to the truth i'll keep going through this you know um but but the devotion helps me you know kind of stay with it if that yeah yeah makes absolutely sense. yeah it makes sense okay and a lot of that difficult material comes up in this process. It just does. And it will until it sort of subsides and never, I probably never really fully absolutely subsides. There's probably a bit of unconscious material that'll surface here and there ongoing, even when there's no sense of separation or no sense of self remaining, but it, it, it just feels different and it, it uh, moves through more effortlessly, I would say, and it's more direct. Um, but yeah, you know, having some sense of, um, or or reminding yourself of why why you're doing this, that there is there is a sort of method to the madness, perhaps, um, that this is not for, this isn't suffering just for its own sake, uh, it's suffering to, to see something more clearly, perhaps whatever that might be, and that to me does feel devotional, but it's hard for me to pick the devotional aspect out of anything, I guess. Like there is a definitely a devotional aspect to all of this. There's a, there's a profound love for these con these conversations and also a profound um, regard for this, this very mysterious process. Um, uh, but it's also hard to pull that out of the, the sort of empty nature of all of it as well. Um, so I, I think you're a, you you feel to me like you're attuned very well, uh, and you're you're treating this with uh, with respect it deserves, and feeling into the various spaces, whether it's the heady space or the heart space. Um, yeah, I, I mean, it feels to me like you're in a good place. But yeah, you can move through some very difficult material going through this. It just happens. Yeah, uh, yeah. Some of it lately is like this utter helplessness. You yeah, know? yeah, no. That's. Yeah really hard that's a that's really good news though it's music to my ears but it's very difficult to go through 
no matter how you look at it from the perspective of a, of a person, of yeah. an individual, of a character, why would you want to be helpless? You, you don't, you know, and even, even in the practical sense of being a mammal in this world, helplessness is not what, what that individual wants or needs. But when it comes to this sort of bizarre process where we, we, in a sense, regress beyond the formation of an, of an identity, uh, you will go through that and, and just experience this utter helplessness. Uh, I, I like to say a few things about it, but it doesn't really matter. It's something you just have to go through. But one is just, just notice nature, just notice the way nature moves. It's utterly helpless. Um, but there's a, there's a, there's a profound strength in helplessness. Uh, there's a strength in a sense to the wholeness of it, but all the, if you break it up into individual aspects and look at it from that standpoint, it's going to feel helpless in a lonely way in a sense, or in a unfair way or something. But we look at the whole, the whole of it, it makes sense. You know, things have to die to, to change forms and, and regrow and be uh, reformed and so forth. And there's some beauty and genius to that, that symphony, but, uh, to the, to the individual or to the apparent individual, it's not comfortable. No, no, no. Um, and you know, it's, it's okay, but it's really, you know, it's really distressing to who I have taken myself to be, you know? Um, so, but I, I understand it's Mm -hmm. part of the process. Yeah. So that's and, the devotion to truth kind of helps with. Yeah. You know. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I, I will say, you know, I, I, not that I want to give you some kind of hope in the mind or anything, but things do look different on the other side of this as well. Um, in a way that's very difficult to talk about, really impossible to talk about. But it turns out things are just fine. Things are just completely okay. Really, um, but in a quite ineffable way. It's not. It's not something I can give you a reason for. Uh, and, and, you know, I I know this place that you're that you're going, you're experiencing, and it is okay. But there's nothing you can do to make it feel okay. And you you seem like you have the maturity to to not try to apply coping mechanism and agendas and distractions. You're you're facing it full on, and that's how this goes. So, I can't think of any other way to orient you than what you're doing okay yeah yeah suzanne may have some comments or not yeah i'll add something um yeah that was a really beautiful question and yeah i've definitely felt a lot of helplessness during this and in a way it really is a good sign because the the belief that the mind has control and knows what will happen does give you a false sense of security and it's really comforting. So then without that, you do feel really helpless and the mind will go crazy to tell you, don't go here. You know, this is dangerous, but it's really not. And it's kind of testing you to see that you can go through any discomfort you really really can but the mind will really challenge you in any possible way and sometimes in the most convincing way specifically for you you know it will say the most uh the most convincing thing 
I guess the thing that that scares you the most, you know, which I think you mentioned, like your identity is being uh, threatened, you know, who you thought you were. Or so that I have any control over, you know, I can I can make things different. I can choose to make things different. I don't believe that at all. <laughs> There's not, that's not, it's just not true. So, you know, it, it's, it's distressing to the system. And I just, you know, I feel it. Um, of course, yeah. Do you feel it right now in the yeah. body? Yeah. 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 Where do you sense it? It's kind of, uh, I'm getting a full, full body. Oh, nice. Uh, yeah, like full on from head to toe. Um, shaky, kind of sh shaky. It's like trembly, inner trembling. Yeah, beautiful. Just let it tremble. Yeah, I'm here with you. Yeah. Just notice what the mind is saying. Let it say whatever it wants. And just let the body tremble. You know, the mind doesn't even have much to say at this point. It's just a like a uh, oh, there. You know, I was just outside, and this mother, this little dove, was sitting on her nest, and we were having to do some work on the tree <laughs> and going around little dove, and it was just you know like trying to sit on her little babies and here we are around it. And that's kind of how I feel like this mother trying to sit on her little babies and I can't do anything because mm. there's nothing oh. to do. Yeah. <laughs> to sit here and be scared, you know? Yeah, it feels so raw and tender. It's like, it's really unbelievable. Yeah. Yeah. But these, these really are the shields coming coming off you know you're feeling the absolute rawness of everything uh, yeah. and it's intense yeah yeah it is it is intense so it's just it's just a what we feel as we let go of, or or as there's a letting go or yeah. oh totally yeah because yeah, there were these imaginary walls that we put up you know and it was it was maintained energetically and then belief in the mind was there. But now as that softens, you're just feeling the raw boundless energy of it, the pure energy of it without knowing what that is. It, it's quite a different, you know, it, it's quite um, challenging for the nervous system sometimes because you're not used to it. Yeah, <clears throat> thank you. Though that's it's uh, you know it's uh, comforting to have a vo voices your voices that um, that I've been through this and and I hear you and I trust you know, you and Angelo I I really you know, my teachers that there is. Um, something beautiful on the other side. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And and you're already there. This is already <laughs> it, you know? Yeah. Well, it's, it's like so yeah. paradoxical, but. Yeah. I hear you.
Thank you. I'll I'll let somebody else go. Yeah, thanks so much. Oops. Okay, sorry about that. Back to the top, we have uh, Mike. Hey, Angela, how are you? Doing well, how are you? Okay, is it okay to read a poem? Sure. So, um... As long I as it's of, not Song of Myself, which is like... No, it's a, poem, it's, a poem, it's a poem that I wrote, and it's only five hours long. Just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I kind of struggled with... Um, I've been struggling a lot lately um, since the retreat in January. And um, kind of wanted... I don't know. I don't write poems. So this might really suck, just to let you know. <laughs> but it kind of... I think it talks about where I'm at. Um, so I'm going to start. I call the poem The Old Suit... I wake up in a daze most mornings as I lie there and my persona forms from unconscious knots. Tied tight with choices I cannot unravel by sheer force of will. I'm so tired. An old, the, an old threadbare suit projects my selfness, selfness, but it no longer fits the seams strain and tear. The garment of my past, my only attire, held together by life's chosen threads. Will it be the only suit I ever wear? In an instant, Gordian knots magically loosen. The suit unravels, exposing raw skin. Cool air brushes feelings of suitless timelessness in the void. Senses overwhelmed by fleeting beauty, but just for a moment. Aware of my nakedness, the voices arise. Forged by 10,000 knots, they assert their sway. Should and shouldn't are and aren't. Shame and guilt fuse the fragments with, ma with dark magic. With the sigh, my persona returns seemingly stronger, yet anxious and different than before. Yet I remember that touch of cool air, weightless liberation. I slumber, dreaming of soaring through the skies, sun-warm soul gliding over shattered plains, descending into darkness only to awaken in the days. Mm. That's kind of how I feel. <laughs> wow, that's beautiful. Thank you. Um, back in January during the retreat, I had, I don't know if you call it an awakening, but the void just appeared. Mm. And um, it was fucking great for about three weeks. <laughs> and then um, really, really old trauma um, and grief and shame filled that space. It's still there. You know, my meditations are, have never been the same um, since then. Um, it's almost like at times meditating is no different than not meditating. Um, I reached out to you and you suggested that I work with Michael, Michael Z, and that's been great. Um, this is just really hard stuff. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, weird things like you know taking a walk in the woods and there's like a little hole like maybe that big in the ground and being afraid i'm gonna fall in mm -hmm. what's that <laughs> yeah um i i don't really know like nothing seems right anymore yeah um so i mean just any comments that you have on that i'd really appreciate sure you know the it, it's still um it still amazes me uh how 
uh, powerful the illusion of mind identification actually is, mm -hmm. meaning how much it can numb us to as far as what we are actually experiencing, but somehow hiding from ourselves, intense emotions, physical pain, even um, it's a, it's a sort of stable disassociated state that that's actually quite brittle and fragile and requires a ton of energy put into it all the time. But when you have billions of people putting that energy in to keep that illusion operating, some pretty strange results come, including violence and things like that. But one of the weird, weirdest ones is that <clears throat> you think you feel emotions before, before that shift occurs. Right. Mm -hmm. But once that shift occurs and you get that, that amazing ex ex experience of, you know, expansiveness or flow or nothing pushing against anything. And it's such, such a beautiful knowing. And it's, it's obviously more real than what, what the mind is saying and has been saying. Um, and then you're equally surprised when the other shoe drops mm -hmm. and that space is suddenly filled with, um, and this is all lawful. This is just how it goes. Uh, but it's all suddenly filled with what you've been repressing somehow through mind identification. And one of the common ones I see that does surprise people is that is fear. Actually, the, the, you know, I, I can remember examples in myself. One was like driving, like driving next to a semi truck and feeling this abject fear that like I could, that truck could slide into me. I could slide into that truck. It was like snowing, you know? And I was like, wow, I can't believe how intense this fear is. And I've done, I've done this a million times. I've driven down the road in dangerous conditions and somehow the mind can just ignore the, the reality of the moment somehow, you know? But now you can't ignore that. You can't ignore anything, um, which is great. That's that's what realization's about, not not ignoring. As Suzanne said to the previous questioner at the end, but don't forget, <laughs> or doesn't matter if you forget or not, but you're you're already here. It's already here. This is already it. There's nowhere to get. Mm -hmm. uh, and um that's very true. But again, somehow that gets obscured. Like what this, this gets obscured, the emptiness of it. The clarity of it, the intimacy of it, the absolute no meaning or purposeness of it, uh, the the inability to hide anything in it, somehow that all gets obscured with this world of being in the mind, being in thought somehow or identified with thought. Uh, but yeah, when you when you first take a big step uh, out of that world, or you you take that that world takes a big hit and it just can't operate the way it used to. It's very surprising how we process emotion. It's very surprising how direct things feel. Uh, it takes a lot of adjustment. And underneath all of it, the what's not, let's say, stopped operating yet, that, that can hide in the background for a while with that honeymoon period, is really just this very simple thing that's not a thing, but I'm going to call it an identity structure. I'm going to call it the tendency to just say no, the tendency to feel like, I can control, I can look at experience, say, I don't like it. And then, and then convince myself I can do something about it at all. That, that simple movement happens very quickly in the mind and that's still there. And so what, what happens is you get this big expansive experience, this blowout often blow out of, of the sense of identity and just that, that crystal clarity and flow. And then all of that repressed material and unconscious stuff and shadow comes, comes in and even that's okay. That's just part of this. But what makes it feel not okay is that 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 little bit of resistance hiding in the background, that that will, that that illusion of personhood, of se of separation, that all of a sudden comes back online big time, and it wraps itself around all of your experience. And it's like no, 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 pushing, pulling, struggling, feeling not okay, 
And it can just have this sum total experience of dysphoria of like, what the hell did I do to myself? Like, why I didn't sign up for this, right? I wanted enlightenment. I wanted spiritual, you know, experiences and all of it, right? Um, and and yeah, it can be daunting and it can be surprising. I remember it very clearly. Uh, so you're in good company in the sense that people who walk this path or, you know, have this this occur, this unbinding occur, they go through this. Um, it's just it's just part of the process. It, there's n- just nothing you can, there's no way around it. Uh, there's, there's nothing I can do to make you really feel better other than just to say, you're being shown what needs to be seen. So the more willingness you have to see clearly moment to moment, the easier it will be. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not going to suddenly, you can't snap your fingers and make it easy, really. Uh, but what you can do is say, okay, I don't have to manage the past. I don't have to manage even how I was feeling yesterday. I don't have to manage how I was feeling this morning. And I don't have to worry worry about the future. I already know that because who the hell knows what's going to happen next year, much less you know five years from now. So really all I'm left with is this, whatever's occurring here, you know? Mm-hmm. And if I don't reference the past, I don't really reference a thought about how was I feeling, what's been going on since this shift occurred and all that, which is just the mind stuff. What do I, what it's really going on right now, you know? And you're kind of left with this, this raw experience. Um, what are my perceptions in this experience? You know, there may be some mental perceptions about, um, what to do about it or whether it's gone wrong or I just don't feel good. Okay. Well, those are thoughts, you know, those are sort of made out of that thought stuff, that consciousness, whatever. And there's a feeling, you know, the body has a sensation, a feeling, feeling tone. When I put my attention there, you know, is there a problem? Not per se. There's, there's a sensation. There's a, or a cluster of sensations, right? What if I just rest there? What if all I have to do is rest there? There's nothing else to do here. What if that's it? You know? That's the beauty and simplicity of this message that this is it, is really you're not called upon to do anything at all. Um, There's simply the textures of appearance right now, and that's all. And that's all there ever was, really. But again, it's a double-edged sword when you're dropped out of that world of the mind-identified space of trying to control and take a position and feel how, pay attention to how you're feeling in regards to this and that. And then you drop out of that into this place where there's no reference point. Uh, Then the double-edged sword is if you try to use that again, you try to use that framework again, which we do for a while, it's so uncomfortable. That's good because ultimately you'll stop trying to use it. Instead, we just drop right into this and realize this is it. This is simply what's what, you know, Uh, the sensations, the sounds, completely empty. No substance there, no agenda, no movement here or there, no inside, no outside, just a sort of empty clarity. And and even with that empty clarity, there's no holding, meaning attention may spontaneously move into a formation of emotion or a formation of sensation in the body. Uh, And that's also empty clarity, and it's also intimate and immediate. It has both of those seemingly paradoxical qualities, but in this world, this non-world, there's no paradox. So all you're really called to do is look closely, feel closely, listen closely. Um, and that's what you're, that's what you're going to do ongoing. <laughs> this, this process is teaching you to do that. The moment you get up in your mind to start touching it with thought, touching it with thought, 
and perception and belief and time, especially how this was like this. And then this happened and then that happened, you know, Mm -hmm. that's, that's really uncomfortable. Yeah. Yeah. But it's not so uncomfortable when it's just one breath, Mm -hmm. one sensation of your hand on the carpet or the dog or the, you know, feeling the air move across the skin, just attend to what is provided. There's a uh, term in Zen called Oryoki, which means just enough. This is just enough. It's just enough. It's perfect. Can you feel into that? Yeah. Good. Actually, do I do some work um, when I'm out running, just in my with my visual sense. Yeah. Just take just take it all in as opposed to focusing. Yeah. And that seems to pull me into that space. Yep. Beautiful. Just, like I feel like I'm everything just shrinks. I don't know how to describe it, but yeah, it's not describable. Yeah. <laughs> That's it. And and you know. Pay attention to those those times and spaces in life that work for you like that. Some people, it's being in nature. You know, it just opens everything and it clarifies everything. So, give yourself the gift of, you know, in the practical sense, occupying the spaces or situations that work to, mm-hmm. to just open things up for you. Yeah. Thank you. You're welcome. I don't know, Suzanne may have something to say. Yeah, <clears throat> I'll just quickly add. That was a beautiful poem. Everything that was said was really beautiful. Um, One thing that comes to mind is when I had moments where the mind was just like crazy and I didn't know what to do and I felt lost. Um, I guess this kind of speaks to the other question as well. Mm -hmm. I, I would genuinely, it would come from a really genuine place, like just take me. Or just show me what I need to see. Okay. Like, what am I holding on to? Because if the mind is kind of going crazy about something, you're, you're wanting a specific outcome. Mm. And so it's kind of like trying to, trying to um, figure out the situation in all of these different ways. And so it's just going kind of crazy. And in a way, there is no answer in the mind, not that you can't use it sometimes, but yeah, when it's just chaotic, then, you know, sometimes there would be this like genuine want for just like surrender, peace, you know? I do know. It's hard. Yeah. yeah. It's hard to surrender. <laughs> well, yeah, you don't do it, but you know, yeah. when it, when it comes to that point where it's just like too much. Mm-hmm. which is a common thing here. It, it, it has to be that way. It has to be messy. This isn't like um, the person doesn't enjoy right. the boundlessness. It's just boundlessness, you know? Mm-hmm. Thank you. Yeah, thanks. Thanks, Mike. Thank you. Uh, okay, Kelly is next. Hello, hang on, Hi. let me change my view for a second so I can see you. Hi. Hello. Um, so I just recently found out about you um, and I, I sent you a message like last week because I'm having some kind of confusion on on where I am in, in the process. And I saw your interview with uh, Chris uh, and I reached out and kind of, uh, spoke with her 
um, just telling her the different uh, experiences I've had. And I related because we had had very powerful things with Vipassana. Um, and I guess, I don't know how much you have to know, but um, uh, at the end of it, I said, I don't know where I am in this process. And she said, okay, like, well, you're on the other side. Uh, and I felt like, is that possible? Because that Vipassana experience was like almost 12 years ago. Uh, and it was very powerful. And uh, I had my mind was still and um, uh, everything was glowing with uh, light. And that lasted for like two months. Um, and And then several things came back in. So it was always like... Uh, I feel that I lost it. Um, and I, I also was involved in the TM community for uh, several years, like four years after this initial experience. And the what they teach is that that first shift means that there's always a witnessing 24 hours a day, even during sleep. And that's not my experience. And I know that. So I feel that I'm stumbling um, and she just mentioned that maybe I should reach out and, and ask you the question. Sure. Thank you. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> so what you described to me feels very much like an awakening or like Ken Show Satori mm -hmm. based on the way you described it. I mean, is it, did, did the, what was in, what was um, the insight that was clarified in that? Has it gone anywhere? Yeah. Has it really, I mean, is it is it essentially there already? Without having to think about it? I mean, I feel that vast spaciousness, but uh, I have a huge trauma history and um, and all of that is, is coming out always. Mm -hmm. But yes, that I can feel that, but yeah, um, yeah I, okay. Nothing, but no, no reason to make it complicated. Now, um, and this comes from a lot of experience of interacting with a lot of people about things like this. Mm -hmm. um, but but I do want to say a couple of things about it. Um, first of all, the the witnessing thing, you'll probably almost never, ever hear me teaching about witnesses or witnessing or anything like that, because I think it's just confusing to people. And it's dualistic. What is How is a witness apart from something they're witnessing? That's a dualistic mental construct to me. So I don't yeah. talk that way at all. So don't, I, I would, I would suggest you do whatever you want, but I would suggest just don't worry about that. Okay. <laughs> Cause if you use that as a litmus test or anything as a litmus test, it just, it leads to doubt. Oh, wait a minute. So-and-so said it should be like this, but this is my experience. And don't worry. Your experience is always right. The experience that's here right now is always right because it's the only one period. Yeah. <laughs> Can't be wrong. It's not right or wrong. It's just what it is. Right. So that's it. So that, that part's done for you in a sense, right? Um, you know, if, to put this in a Zen context in Zen, that would be stream entry essentially, or in Buddhism would be stream entry. That's, that's the, the, the spiritual birth, uh, in earnest. Like that's when the real, the real unbinding starts with before that it's very conceptual. You know, you, you can feel like you're interested in spirituality and all this stuff, but it's all very, very heady. And the identity structure is very much intact after that shift. It's, it's, there's still identity functioning for a while, but, uh, but it's like, you know, meing and being, and sometimes it's prominent and sometimes it's not, but, 
but essentially there's there's a there's a knowingness that's a a sort of a Zochen term. It's a really cool one. Knowingness without an object of knowing, right? There's something in your experience all the time that doesn't need thoughts to be to know itself. It's just simple, simple clarity. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It's very obvious. This is clear to you. So what do you do now? That's the question, right? What to do or what not to do? You know what? So I, I just tell people do what works for you. Some people can listen to a sort of neo advaita message and, and just stop altogether or realize you can't stop. Realize there's that that seeker, that seeking energy that's remaining, that it really just can't do anything. It's it's essentially just a collection of thoughts anyway. And what's happening is just what's happening. And hearing that enough, you know, the, that identity can just kind of somehow terminate itself or the snake that eats its own tail. For other people, you know, uh, doing some work or doing some inquiry can be very helpful. Uh, but the inquiry is not into the nature of reality or anything because you probably don't really have that fundamental question anymore because you're living it. Yeah. It's just, it's just what's obscuring it in various ways. That's the challenge, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, yeah, I mean, but I do feel a sense of a flow. I, yes, I have a lot of stuff coming out. This mm -hmm. all feels okay. Mm -hmm. Um, in my own experience, and when I wrote you the message, I was confused because I felt like I haven't had this first shift, but I feel really drawn to the um, sense fields. Mm -hmm. That is what I feel. That is where I want to go. <laughs> Good. Perfect. Okay. That's yeah, that's it. Yeah. And and there are very, very simple and very direct ways to work in the sense fields. Um, um, and none of them are practices, essentially. They're investigations. They're really just seeing what's there or not yeah. there that's it right <laughs> so like when you look and what do you see in front of you like do you see do you see objects in front of you it, it i feel like it wavers it goes in and out you know because mm -hmm. there can be a lot of light coming through sometimes or there can be a sense of Well, just look at what's right in front of your face right now. Yeah, yeah. Now, is there is there an object there? Is there a thing out there somewhere? Is there an out there? Just answer from your instinct. It still feels like there's an out there. It mm -hmm. does feel that way. And what do you what what makes it feel that way? What are you referencing to make to 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 pick that up to say it's out there? Is it what you're actually seeing right now, or is it, is it some attention bouncing back into your mind to say that's out there? <laughs> And now I don't know. Right. Good. I like that. That's, I want you to stay in the, I don't know. And just, but, but keep looking. Don't, don't analyze anything. This okay. is not, this is not the mind's territory. If thoughts are here, it's just not going to be helpful. It's not going to hurt anything, but it's not going to be helpful. Okay. That's the kind of investigation. Yeah. And it will feel like that. It almost feels like ecstatic at some point. And it's very direct and it, it's very fast actually. It's the yeah. only thing that stops that from just completely unbinding everything and the identity just dissolving completely is the tendency to go back and try to be someone, try to be someone in reference to something, try to have my story again, have my life again, have my time frame again. But you don't need any of that. It's not, it's just not necessary here. What the, the sense fields are gold mines. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you so much. You're so welcome. <laughs> You're so welcome. Trust yourself. Trust yourself and do what feels totally natural to you and, and just let that spontaneity move through everything. Thank you. Sure. <laughs>
Suzanne, I don't know if you have anything to say. Yeah, that was beautiful. You seem quite intuitive too. So yeah, I would say go with your gut instinct and don't mentally try to understand what's going on because it's not really that necessary. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thanks. Yeah, you know, I'm inclined to say one other thing, and that is, um, this is just from my own intuition, and it may be valuable or not at all. You can let it go if, if it's not valuable or doesn't resonate. But I think I'm inclined to tell you, like, that we can have this idea about spirituality as a whole, like a thing called spirituality, which includes like all kinds of preconceived ideas about spiritual people and teachers and stuff and processes and all this, and it feels really good to let that go. And you will let it go sooner or later. And maybe you've already let it go, or maybe you haven't, but you can give yourself permission to let, even let that go because that can be that sort of thing we keep checking back with ourselves on or about. Uh, it's almost like another identity, right? A spiritual identity or a, the spiritual world. Um, but it, it becomes so... You, you have to be so authentic here that there, you realize that there's just nothing out there like that. You know, um, there may be teachings and pointings that are helpful, but ultimately the truth is right in front of your face and it's not a thought and it's not a concept and it's, it's not, um, you know, it's just what's right there. Yeah. And I think you, you seem to have the intuition as Suzanne said, you seem to have that intuitive nature, uh, and, and that, that sort of porous nature, and that's hugely valuable in deeper stages of realization because you can really let this process overtake. Um, but just trust yourself. I, I don't know if that's helpful, but. That's extremely relevant and helpful. Thank you. You're welcome. Okay. We have uh, Kwong. Hello. Can you hear me? Yes, I can. Um, so I experience a lot of fear. Um, because I feel like I'm obsessed with searching for a truth and I just want to know so badly what this reality is all about, but um, in the very um, ontological way. And so I search for various teachings, I compare them, and I feel like I'm addicted to that and it's kind of destroying my life because I don't want to do anything else besides that. I just feel like this is the most important thing to, to know. What is it, basically? What is this reality? Um, and I think it's fear-based. Um, some time ago, I had this very um, traumatizing psychedelic experience. And ever since then, I'm kind of obsessed with it. Um, and yeah, I also meditate a lot. I do the shadow work. I do the self-inquiry. But also there is this addiction to spiritual message, basically. And it's out of fear. And I don't know how to deal with that. Okay. Thank you for your question. Suzanne, do you want to start? or? You don't have to. Um, let me see. Yeah, so 
I think there's so much information out there about what reality actually is. But you're never far from it. It's already this. It's just the pure sensations in your body. And it's not your body. I kind of want to ask you what happened in the psychedelic experience and what was so fearful about it. Um, basically, I was left alone in the void. Um, and I think that fear of loneliness is the main factor of that. Um, yeah. And it kind of shattered my world view about uh, spirituality and uh, reality, basically, because before that, I thought that reality is, you know, um, unconditional love and, and God and stuff. And when I hear sometimes your message about no self, I also shiver and get <laughs> in panic mode because it feels um, so terrifying and yeah. I just cannot let it go. I just constantly search for new information and I constantly <laughs> listen to this message. Mm. What do you feel in your body right now? There are just sensations right now. Mm -hmm. um, and when I just get into this moment and I'm aware of those sensations and the mind, which has its own story, I can see that there is no problem at all but yeah <laughs> yeah um i would say um listen to things lightly this it's kind of beautiful that you, there is this urgency there like this longing that's there But I think I would say to focus on really being in the body and to kind of um, nourish the body, like be there for the body, be there for that sense of loneliness and that fear. So I think what you saw in the psychedelic experience it'll be colored by the emotion that's the strongest. So if, if there was a lot of loneliness and fear, which is really understandable, um, you know, there might be this interpretation that reality is something like that. Uh, but what it's actually doing is kind of confronting this, the illusory separate reality and so when that is confronted, it will produce this foundational fear of my existence. And 
in a way that's a big part of the collapse of that illusion. And I would say this is a lot about slowly strengthening the nervous system and being aware of how much you can handle in this moment. So you're kind of strengthening your body. by just being here. Mm -hmm. And um, basically mind will never know, right? It's, and it feels utterly hopeless, like to know the truth about what is it. I can just be this and I cannot say a word about it. And it's, it's hopeless for the mind. Yeah, so this is this can't be mentally understood. Words can't touch it at all because it already simply is. Um, yeah, I kind of also want to ask if there was something... Uh, you know, traumatizing that happened in childhood that would be reminiscent of that fear and loneliness? Mm, yes, yes. Many times. Um, it's all the stories um, with my parents, but I, I think I, for the most part, I've been through this on my psychotherapy, I guess, but maybe not, not to that extent. Not enough yet. So, yeah, it's definitely related to my childhood. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So this isn't about getting rid of anything. It's it's really about actually becoming more and more okay with exactly what's here. So if that intense fear is here, um, you know, those stories and those narratives will most likely come up. And I, th I think it's good to address that kind of stuff and not just focus completely on the truth because everything is a truth. There is no separation in that way. It's life already. So I kind of want to soften your um, belief that getting to a certain truth or realization is the only answer. Yeah. Definitely there's a part of me that um, just is... And there is a mind that just, yeah, but what about this and this? What happens after that? Death, <laughs> what it's all about? Um, and all the stories going on. It just wants to know so badly. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's understandable. 
No one knows what happens after death. Yeah. And that's why this is so addictive. Because mm -hmm. when you search um, for spiritual info, um, there are many teachers who claim that they know everything, every answer. They know how reality, reality is. And for a moment, it feels good that someone knows, but then you recognize that those are just beliefs and nobody knows anything. And it's hopeless. Mm. Have you have you done body work before? Uh, like being really attentive to the body and sensations? Yes, yes, that's my practice too. Yeah, yeah. I, I would I would say um don't don't take the more radical message too seriously. I know maybe that's not possible. Um, but I think if it's if it's it's bringing the body to overwhelm often, um, I, I would say take a break from it here and there and focus more on just the pure sensations in the body and really being with that. Mm -hmm. okay like right now do you feel like you can just simply allow the body to be exactly how it is mm -hmm. yes mm -hmm. there is some tension around the chest mostly but when I really dive into it it's just those are just sensations and it's not bad, not good. It just is flowing. Mm. Nice. Yep. Yeah. It's like all those struggle is like a shadow. When I look into it, it's gone, basically. Mm hmm Yeah. You mean all the mental struggle? Yeah. When, and, and suffering in general, when I look into it, yeah. it's, it's, it's immediately gone. Under inspection, it's gone. Mm hmm but, but it sneaks back in when I'm not aware. <laughs> mm hmm Yeah. It's very sneaky. <laughs> yeah. <sighs> okay. Thank you. Thank you so much, Sam. Yeah. Thank you. I'll pass it on to you, Angelo. Okie dokie. Thanks, Kwong. And thank you, Suzanne. So I, I have very little to add. Um, she said pretty much what I would, much of what I would have said, um, meaning what I sensed in the initial description was like a little bit of a skew to the masculine or to the disintegrative 
And I don't know what the psychedelic was, but like, it sounds like it could have been five MEO and that's an ex extreme blowout into the disintegrated aspect, which is very, um, can give a lot of insight, but it can be very destabilizing as well. Uh, and her pointers to, to really just let yourself kind of move back into that natural balance of more into the body, into sensation, into acceptance of what's actually here, what's actually occurring um, in your immediate experience rather than trying to seek a truth or seek. Because in a sense, that that's another sort of disintegrative movement, the movement of conceptuality, conceptualization, seeking mental truth or understandings or descriptions and all that. Um, it's really, it's, it's like, in a way that's a re probably a response to that, that complete disruption you experienced, uh, in your identity, but the response is kind of more of what you don't need in a way. Like, you don't, I don't think it's, you don't need more disintegration or more of, into that masculine energy field. It's more like come back to the feminine aspect, which you definitely have. Um, and you, your intuition has already led you there to doing this kind of somatic work and stuff. Um, but maybe just a little bit of an adjustment there. Um, and sometimes looking into what, what is it that makes me want to understand things in a, in a conceptual way, spirituality and so forth. Uh, you know, why do I need to describe this to myself? Why do I need to describe it to others? Have I gotten, have I had rewards in life for, for having knowledge, right? Because in the relative world, we, we actually do get rewarded for knowledge, for being smart, for being the one that knows, uh, and and that has that's that has its place in the world, but in the in the absolute sense or in the in the intimate sense, why what is there to describe, you know? Um, hmm. and, and it can be. I, I think I think mm -hmm. I, I think it's out of fear. Yeah. It's basically out of fear and fear of just unknown that I can't really know what is it all about. Like yeah. Um, what happened during psychedelic i just realized that nobody knows anything and it's so freaking scary yeah yeah um that kind of knowing um that kind of that kind of knowing of is is a sort of describing to yourself right uh it's it's a it's trying to it's trying to find an island in this vast ocean right and so what I think sometimes these really intense experiences, the the blowout experience with psychedelics, 5-MeO and things like that, and even sometimes people have, who have awakenings with no context at all, which does happen, even sometimes in like childhood, it sets up a, a similar process I see where it's like, part of you tells yourself you really want this, you really, because you, you felt it, you feel it directly, this completely ineffable knowing that everything's perfectly okay, but also there's kind of nothing here, you know, um, there's something so mysterious and, and there's freeing about that. At the same time, another part of us is terrified of it. And those, they're kind of competing agendas and they can get confused, right? So the, mm -hmm. the part of us that says, oh, I'm trying to learn more about this is actually not really trying to learn more about it so it can wake up more. It's trying to stay asleep. It's, it's trying to grab something and hold on for dear life, actually. It's trying to hold on to a knowledge base about what happened to me instead of letting what is obviously never not happening just, just go deeper and deeper and deeper until it's just free fall, right? So sometimes just 
looking into those competing agendas at a psychological level can be helpful just to see clearly what your motivations are. And when you sort of see them all, oh, wow, over here, I have this belief and, and that's kind of in contradiction to this belief and this experience. Sometimes just seeing those clearly enough, enough times, it's like the the darkness is dispelled enough or the the hiddenness of it is dispelled enough that you, you're like, okay, there's nothing more to address there. And then you can kind of relax. And when you relax, then that, or the disintegration and integration are not too, hits that beautiful balance. And it's like, oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, everything is deeply and profoundly okay. And it's also completely formless <laughs> and without boundary and all, all that. So um, I think you're, I think you're generally in a good place, maybe just a little bit skewed toward the masculine or something like that in those ways. Um, and I agree with Suzanne that, you know, somatic pra practices or finding ways to just really um, physically attend to your your sense fields and specifically the body sense um, and, and acceptance practices. And if that intellectual pull just stays really strong, just keep looking into it. Okay, well, why do I want to know? What, I, what do I really think I'm going to get out of it? Oh, okay, I'm, I'm actually trying to anchor myself somewhere, but that's not possible. I can't do that. I already know that. The insight is already clear, clear on that. Okay, All right. and then it might calm down and it might come back. And if it comes back, look again, look closely. What am I really trying to do here? You know, what are my agendas? What are the, what are the background beliefs in this, this mental space that seems to have a pull to it? And again, for me, I think just seeing clearly enough times that these beliefs are here and there and the competing agendas, they tend to just soften up and often just dissolve. Wow. Okay. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you for your work. Yeah. Thank, thank you. you. Thanks for your question. Thanks. Okay. Uh, let's see here. We are down to Alec. Hi, Angelo. Hey. Hi, Sam. Um, hey. I'm really grateful to be here and talk with the two of you. Uh, oddly, I have a lot of resonance with a lot of things people have said here and um, Kwong's yeah, just talking about a, a psychedelic experience that was kind of traumatic. I've had a similar, um, I've had something similar happen of, uh, I actually, prior to finding your work, I used to call that psychedelic experience an awakening. And I don't know that it actually was, but uh, now that I've learned more, but um, I definitely... Yeah, you know, it started out great. It was a great experience at first. And, you know, all the stereotypical psychedelic uh, tropes of uh, just feeling really like, like, kind of like I died and existence was still there. Existence was existing and everything made sense. Everything was clear and euphoric and all of that. But in that same experience, kind of like at the snap of the fingers, it switched and, uh, per, you know, the other shoe dropped in a sense and it went to complete dysphoria and like brokenness nothing made sense and i was so confused and similar to what um kwong was just saying of like i felt so alone and like so much fear of being alone and like that nobody else that i've ever interacted with my parents like they didn't even exist and yeah my mind or my ego perhaps like I feel like took that for a big ego trip for a while. And I like spent a couple of years living in 
a sort of solipsistic nightmare where I didn't know where anything was, anything was real. If anybody I interacted with was anybody else, it was, it was strange. Um, and I do think that that's colored my experience since, and, uh, it's not where my question lies though, right now, I feel like I've dissolved a lot of that um, solipsistic stuff, but that sense of a me, of my ego is very much still here, I feel, and like that I'm ad- identified with it. And um, yeah, I um, I guess to get to where I want to talk about is, uh, I've heard you talk about uh, with, in, a, in an interview with Violet that you a favorite movie of yours is Revolver. Um, and um, hopefully this isn't a spoiler. If it is, it's a small one. Uh, <laughs> uh, you know the scene where Jake runs out of, or walks out of the doctor's office and he's narrating and he gets hit by the car, uh, yeah. but he doesn't really get hit by the car and he's narrating and he's like, we're just, you know, like, look at the little, look at the boy with the trophy or like, look at the, yeah, like get a nice pat on the back or, you know, whether you fear me or revere me, please think I'm special. Um, and that we're just approval junkies and um, like monkeys in suits looking for approval. Mm-hmm. That's where I feel like I've come to a really strong realization around like my existence, like since I was young, I have spent so much of my life looking for approval and I have so much fear of, yeah, here's a, here's a connection to the previous question. I think somewhat of a theme here is fear. That's what I'm looking at is I feel like I have so much fear around not um, getting people's approval. Um, Like I'm like the, I've been the quintessential people pleaser throughout my life. And I heard you in an interview with someone recently that really opened my eyes. You said something about people pleasing being like a form of manipulation and, and trying to have some sense of control um, so that people like you. And I'd never quite put that together, but I was like, Oh my God. Yeah, that's what it is. And, and that scene from revolver also, it hit me like that, that car hit Jake of like, I was like, Oh my God. Yeah. Right here. That's me. Um, and, um, so yeah, let me put this into some context of like where I'm at in my life. I've, I'm in a partnership. I've been in a partnership for the last seven years and, um, I've been really struggle and I really struggle with intimacy with, with my partner in like what feels like whenever there's things that are, whenever I feel like there's conflict, I'm so afraid of conflict. I'm so afraid of, of arguing, of getting, yeah, having somebody be upset with me and particularly people who are, who I'm close with. Um, and yeah, I've, I've always kind of had this persona of somebody who's, easy to get along with easy going, you know, people pleaser. I can blend into any crowd. I can, you know, make anybody feel comfortable or trust me or, you know, whatever, but I don't ever share much about myself. Um, and 
Um, where am I going with this? I really, I've, I, my partner reflected something to me recently when we had something come up that is kind of fueling this question. She said to me, it's really hard when I'm having something that comes up for me, uh, for her, um, that you then, you know, make it about your process. You make it about you. And, um, and I do, I recognize that, like, I, I'll like acknowledge some what's going on for her. And then I say, you know, I go into like, yeah, and this is like, this is a place where I'm weak and I'm working on this and I'm trying to do this so that this doesn't happen again. And, so on and so forth um and yeah she she said something like you know it's really hard when when i've got things up that you then say i this i i i and i'm like oh my god ego i me 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 and um i guess i'm really just trying to be able to be more present for her and like okay so here's something when when that sort of stuff comes up I feel like I get in a good flow with meditation, with inquiry, with being in the senses. And then um, a conflict comes up and I like fall back. I like fall into all of my distractions, all of my ways of numbing out and like feeling like I've got some control and I can go, you know, play video games or eat food or like make myself feel better. And, and then it feels like my inquiry isn't relevant at all. Um, and I like lose, lose touch with my meditation practice. I lose touch with all of that. And it, I like get so wrapped up in this, this place and, and it, it feel, and it's always when it's something that's focused on me, when she's upset with me, like if she's upset with somebody else, I can be there. I can listen. I can, you know, go through it all with her and reflect and like be there for her. But as soon as it's something about me, I, I'm all in defense. And so I've started to have like an inquiry hit me the other day that I've just started to do that maybe is, maybe you're just going to tell me, just do that. Um, I've had the question going in my head when there's stuff up between us of like, what if there was nothing to defend? Like, what if there was nothing to defend? And, and in some like intellectual place, I know that like this stealth that I get so worked up about that feels like it's getting attacked is, and like, yeah, this persona that I have of being the easy one and being the one who can, you know, whatever, like get along with anybody. Uh, when it feels like that's not happening, that's when it gets all messy so yeah i don't even necessarily know what my question is exactly here just i'm really looking for a way to be able to i guess be in that better um when these situations come up so that i can be more there for her and also feel like yeah i'm i'm i i don't like lose touch with practice i suppose of yeah, like it, it, I feel like I like completely fall out of uh, I don't know, like consciousness or like uh, like I go into all these unconscious places. Sure. Um, so yeah, I guess that's, okay. that's kind of my question. Yeah. Thanks for hearing me. Sure. A, a couple things as you were speaking hit me to to mention on different levels, um, and 
some of it's kind of directly to you, but some of it's really for anyone listening because the the overarching issue of validation seeking, approval seeking, as you mentioned that clip, which is really, really, really good scene, um, is so much more deeply ingrained in people's psyches than they realize. Going through this process reveals everything. And it's surprising how deep it goes, how deep just validation seeking goes, whether it's whether it's in with casual acquaintances or whether it's with people we're emotionally connected to. And there's completely different sets of rules for those two spaces in the human psyche, I find. Um, mm-hmm. It's just different. So some people function way better in one than the other. Some people don't function well in either one and so forth. So so just know that like you might feel confident and and have really good social skills in, in say a casual situation or at work and you may not at home at all and or mm-hmm. vice versa, actually. Yeah, and so it can happen the other way around as well. Um, and the 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 triggers around validation seeking and approval seeking and and all that um, are varied and they're deeply rooted in our psyche and they um, are conditions based. So things can be dormant for a long time until you're in the right set of circumstances. Like for instance, if you're single, then you may not have these triggers hit you really until you're in a relationship and then all of a sudden then the triggers hit. Mm-hmm. Vice versa, you may not realize how much loneliness you carry until you're actually not in a romantically connected relationship for a while. And then you're like, wow, there's so much loneliness here, you know? So conditions trigger these various uh, experiences as well. And um, so, so the reason I say that is just so people understand that you, you can often feel defeated or like, you know, like I'm backsliding or whatever, but really you're just being exposed to new sets of conditions or deeper intimacy with your partner and things like that, that allow you to come into contact with these, these challenges or these vasanas or these sticking points or whatever it is. Um, so that's an, that's an overarching statement, but it's to not be aware of how strongly validation uh, and uh, approval seeking affects us would be to be completely unconscious to it. It's 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 like running you like a puppet unless you're aware of it. Even when you're aware of it, it still has a very strong influence and pull and it can take a long time to unwind it. So the fact that you're very aware of it and interested in working with it and all that stuff is very good. Um, specific to people-pleasing, um, that's a... So so if you have that tendency, I, I would say, like I definitely have had it in the past in certain areas more than others, in some areas not really but I know the movement of it for sure. And I understand it. And I've been in that environment and I know what the triggers are and so forth. Um, but one thing I, w- I would like to tell people who feel that because a lot of sort of spiritual people or people on this path are very sensitive people. They're sensitive and compassionate. And th- that's a setup for people pleasing, especially if you've grown up in an environment with a parent who can't manage their own nervous system, you learn to regulate mm-hmm. it for them, even as a child, before you've even developed an identity, fully developed an identity yourself. And so it gets really baked into your behaviors, patterns, and so forth. Okay. So, um, so first of all, just give yourself, you know, some, some space and, and realize like I, it's, it really comes out of compassion at some level. You, you care about that person at some level, right. You, you know, or you wouldn't even care if you had no awareness of their state at all and really did not give a shit how they were feeling, you wouldn't be people-pleasing. You'd be a sociopath, but you wouldn't be people-pleasing, right? <laughs> so the fact that you empathize strongly, that an empathy has is a two-way street. If you if someone feels angry, if someone feels sad, if someone feels scared, you, you're not going to get to some spiritual place where you just don't feel that anymore. You will get to the place where you have such a capacity for it that nothing's resisting it anymore. So you can experience it with them empathically and compassionately without having to react to it or add something or subtract something. Um, but it's also important to realize that we are mammals. We have empathic 
wiring and we're always going to feel reactions around, not necessarily reactions, but we're going to feel empathic experiences around people all the time. It's just going to happen. And, and accepting that is important as well, because we can have this ideal that, oh, I shouldn't react to anything. I shouldn't have any response. I shouldn't feel that's not true. Um, then the last thing I really want to tell you is something simple. And it's just as, as new experiences or even old experiences that resurface, that feel intense, emotionally intense, where you really want to do something you want to do. Like, that's how I felt when you were describing the situations, like, you know, your partner's telling you something and you want to do something. So you're either saying, here's what I'm working on, or here's this, or here's that, or instead of just saying, Hey, can I, do I have the capacity to just feel what's going on with this person right now and just not react too much uh, or not react at all or not offer anything specific other than space, listening, feeling, um, and just letting them say what needs to be said. Uh, um, it's really just a matter of, as Suzanne said in a previous question, it's you're really training your nervous system that it has the capacity. If it knows it has the capacity, it doesn't react. It doesn't have to react. It may have to set boundaries sometimes. And so understand there's differences there too. Like if somebody's being abusive towards you and so forth, you have every right to set a boundary or say something's unkind or whatever, if, it, if it's really, you know, needs to be said and so forth. This gets into gray areas, of course, but generally speaking, if somebody's not attacking you or, you know, physically threatening you in some way or whatever, you, you often just have the capacity to just feel the intensity of what they're feeling, even if it's anger, even if it's deep grief, even if it's frustration, all those things and, and feel it with them. And that's it, you know, um, and it can be a matter of just putting your attention in your own body and just going, wow, okay. The intensity level in here is high, but do I actually have to react to anything right now? Is there anything that's making me react? Is there anything that's causing there to be a reaction out of necessity and really looking for it, you know, is there at all? And, and staying with that and, you know, keeping some attention on the environment as well of whatever seems to be triggering you. And I think what happens over time is that that gap does open up the, the reaction gap, the gap between what seems to be occurring and, and how you seem to have to react to it. And as the gap opens up, you often find that these things aren't as causally related as they seem. It may really seem like, no, it's definitely about that person, right? My, whatever it is, it's definitely about that person and what they're saying and who they are and who they, who I know they are. And, but the more this gap opens, the more you realize it's really not actually, it's about my own response to my own internal experience. And my, and part of my internal experience is an interpretation of what's happening externally. No. And that, and those get stuck together like this. You really forget that, okay, I'm, I'm actually reacting to a set of preconditioned responses that started with my mother. Then it was with my, whatever, whoever, however that happens. And then we just apply it to various situations when certain emotional triggers come. And that's mm -hmm. another, that's, that's why it's important to understand the empathic piece that you can't not have the empathic experience, but that empathic experience is not causally related to you having to react to anything or even make any conclusion, actually. Uh, that's, that's what it means mm -hmm. to know that capacity you have, and it will deepen and deepen and deepen over time. And um, you can also just look at these moments as, as opportunities to be like, okay, how can I how can I really learn to just open that gap up? And if I have a response, you know, think about it, sit with it for a while and come back when you're calm and, you know, respond or whatever. Um, but you have the capacity for sure. It's, it's there. The only thing that gets in the way is habits and, and habits are unfortunately a lot largely unconscious when it comes to emotional connections, mm -hmm. because they started again before we were fully conscious ourselves before we had fully mm -hmm. formed an identity, we were already being shaped that way. So they happen very quickly and very deeply. Um, but you can definitely learn 
that you don't have to react in 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 habituated ways. That's about mm. it. That's about all I got. Okay. Thank you. Yeah. I, I, think, uh, yeah, just hearing that I'm sure for other people, it's different things, but it's particularly it's specific around anger and anger directed at me. And yeah, I grew up with a, an angry father. So I think that yeah. that all just got tied in and, um, yeah. So thanks. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm going to sure. look for that gap. And also look into resentment just when you're on your own about that, because anger is a very intense emotion and we can, we can build resentment around just anger being directed at us when we know we didn't deserve it. We didn't do anything to deserve it yet. You know, that angry Mm energy is coming towards us and it has an effect on us. And when it's a cumulative effect over years, there's some resentment that builds up around it. Like, you know, I don't deserve Uh, this kind of thing. So just knowing that those are also in there, those motivations. Um, absolutely. Yeah. Then I get angry with that result. Well, that's the problem with people pleasing. We could talk a long time about people pleasing, but what happens is you're, you're suppressing your own anger and your own boundaries. And that's not a good thing to do. It's not a good thing to suppress your own boundaries. Mm -hmm. Right. And then, then it will come out and it'll come out like too much, too fast and, and not clear. Yeah. Nailed it. Exactly. Yes. Cool. All right. Thanks meeting you. Yeah. Thanks for the questions. Suzanne may have a, a response as well. Um, yeah, that was beautiful. I'm, I'm a people pleaser too, (laughs) but I I just wanted to add to kind of look at it as really innocent that you didn't create that. And it's such an understandable thing that would be there. Um, like, of course, as kids, we want approval, you know, that's how we get love and acceptance and feel safe and it's such an innocent mechanism that's happening. So it's not your fault. It's not something you should look at as wrong, as bad as I need to change this and fix this. And if only this was gone, it'd be better. It's just that we're all, you know, uniquely, beautifully flawed in all of these different ways. And we just have to learn to work with it and use the relationship as your growth and awakening or whatever you want to call it, like it's the perfect place to do so. And yeah, I would, I would say, I feel like I'm just adding on to what Angela said, because he said it, you know, but I guess I just want to reiterate, like when your, your partner wants space purely for her, allow that space for her. And then you get your time too. Like, like Angelo said, you could process it on your own, process the anger a little bit, and then have your own time too. So both of you have the space, you know, equally. Uh, it's, it's important for both of you guys to fully be heard and seen. Yeah. You know? Absolutely. Yeah. No, I mean, that's, she said that to me a couple of times now of like, it's, it's your timing. Your timing is just not good. Um, when I bring up my stuff and I think, um, yeah, that's, that's something I'm learning. Yeah. And I, I really do think seeing the innocence of all of these conditionings and mechanisms and patterns and, and, 
when we notice them, of course, there's going to be this reaction to it because even that's patterning as well, how we relate to ourselves because we think that that's us, you know? And yeah. just to notice that dynamic and yeah, I just, I think I just want to emphasize the innocence of it because what's seen mm-hmm. deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper layers is that yeah, holy shit, we're, we're just trying to feel safe and be seen and be appreciated. And like, what's wrong with that, really? <laughs> yeah, that's it. <sighs> and so Thank then you, you. Don't have to, you don't have to be that defensive about it because everyone pretty much has it. Not everyone, everyone, but like the mass majority of people. So it's, it's okay. Thank you. Yeah. That was a Thank beautiful you. question. Thank you for your question and answer as well. Yeah. Okay. Where are we at here? Um, uh, Alec. Me again? Nope. Is there another Alec? Sorry. Yeah. Okay. Let's start over. Just kidding. Uh, Mike B. Hey, hey, can you hey, hear me? I can. So I just made myself lunch and started eating, but I'll put that aside. All right. So I don't really, I was sort of anticipating this call and, um, you know, questions that come up and, and they all seem kind of pointless in a way. Um, so I'm just really going to say hi and uh, acknowledge this weird situation where, you know, your voice is a trusted voice. I listen to you regularly and it's just this kind of weird situation. Never met you, but I'm looking forward to the retreat. And um, I guess I am interested, I I would say that I am still looking for that um, awakening, which I know that the seeking is definitely a a barrier to that. But um, I'm just in a place where there's, you know, this low-lying depression and lack of motivation, and it's like the the normal distractions don't hold the same um, ability to distract and the same appeal as they used to, but it's not like I just feel driven to sit and meditate for hours. It's just kind of like this low lying blah and just being sick of me and the way that I show up in the world. And so I'm kind of interested in hearing a bit about, depression and any thoughts on like procrastination and lack of motivation and um yeah that's my spiel okay thank you suzanne do you have anything to start or shall i um you can go okay you know what struck me when uh, i was listening to you is uh this 
the sort of like spiritual desert sort of thing this, that happens. Um, there are times when we have this intense spiritual drive or yearning or inquiry, or uh, it's just at the center of our attention, uh, whatever it is, this, this identity issue. And feels like the energy is endless to, to kind of keep digging and discerning and questioning and all. Um, and underlying it, there's a, there's a sort of attunement to some sort of truth. Uh, there are other times when uh, probably through some of that questioning and inquiry and uh, um, digging in to our own internal experience, the the older motivations fall away. The more self-centered perhaps motivations or maybe the more cognitive or mental or conceptual motivations fall away. And it's like, well, well who am I then? Like, who, who am I to even wants anything, you know? And um mm -hmm. spiritual and it just it feels kind of like blah kind of yeah. uh yeah does that does that resonate yeah yeah okay yeah what i what i suggest is just patience that what yeah. i what i because what i find happens is it's a, it's a, just a sort of a phase like like so many things it's just an experience that will pass and often when that experience passes um uh maybe a little bit more of a clearer or deeper attunement starts to drive the bus maybe in a different way. Um, unless it really starts to feel like there's an urgency to this, like, like I'm really overlooking something here. I really, there's really something below the conscious level that's wanting my attention, but I can feel myself completely avoiding it. If it's something like that, it may be helpful to do some inquiry around it. Like, what am I hiding from myself here? You know, what am I really afraid of that kind of thing? But that may not be what it is. It may really just be this sort of spiritual desert where it's kind of like a doldrum, you know, it, the, there's nothing moving anything. And in one sense, you could say that's a good sign. It shows some, some clarity because really there's nothing you need to do. There's nothing, there's no one there that needs to do it and you're not going to get somewhere. So that all can land in a certain way. Uh, and some of those, like I said, those agendas can kind of fall away, but it also is like, well, what's driving the bus now? Am I, am I done with this whole thing is, you know, um, I can still feel some self, you know, experience around. I still see the world is divided, you know, or whatever. Something tells me this is not completed. And yet I don't really don't feel any motivation that's authentic right now. I would say, stay with your authenticity and it's okay. Just just see what happens and and things always change as they always do so that's my instinct thank you you're welcome should i add something totally up to you okay um yeah i was gonna say that the flavor of depression and despair could be very familiar um when you're going through this because your your kind of personal will is being diminished so your motivation and ambition to really do in the same way might be diminishing mm. and yeah i think i think 
to Angelo's point of like, if it does feel really genuine, that there is no real authentic motivation to, to like do right now. Um, yeah, I would say it's not really a bad, bad thing. <laughs> Just slightly bad, not bad, bad. <laughs> I mean, you know, it's it's worrisome sometimes because if it if it drags on for like way too long, of course, the mind is going to worry a bit and uh, question. But I mean, just to describe what happened here is like there was what appeared to be like deep depression and deep despair. And but there was honestly no energy to really do anything. And um, I just I just felt it was really different than before. Um, yeah, meaning meaning before I felt like the mind could really conjure up importance in something and then there would be energy to do it. But more and more I felt like the mind was kind of worrying but there literally wasn't the energy to do anything. Um, it just had a, a different flavor. Um, yeah. Thank you. Sure. Thanks, Mike. All right, moving on to... Philip. Hey, sorry about that. My screen uh, went black. No worries. Uh, I just have like a simple question. I uh, appreciate everybody else's shares. They were wonderful. Um, I guess, how do you know where you are along the path of what, what you've laid out in your book and in your talks? Well, I know, I know. <laughs> I'm I'm usually disinclined from even telling people anything about that. Aside from that, you know, to be honest, like the, the way I might work with somebody approaching an initial awakening when it's close, when it feels like it's really coming to a head, there may be certain ways I might point that are that are different than than afterward that can be unnecessary or counterproductive, perhaps. But even even with that said, everyone's so different. And most of the time when I'm interacting with people, whether they've had that initial shift, whether they've not, uh, whether, whether they've gone beyond that and they've even had deeper experiences, non-dual and so forth. Um, still, I don't think of them in those terms. I don't, I don't think of you in terms of awake or asleep because I don't think you of you in terms of a you, it's just, it's just this experience flowing. So my interaction with somebody comes out of this experience and the quality of what we speak about or what we interact with, it really just has to do with what, what's going on with you right now. And this is one thing I tell people when I first meet them, if they want to work with me or something like that, I always kind of say, you know, I don't really care where, what happened to you before too much. I mean, we can talk about it if it feels relevant, but I don't want them to worry about that too much. They don't have to make sure they tell me the story right because I don't care about the story. I'm, I care about what's going on with you now. What do you feel? What are your emotional experiences? What are your perceptions? And if you're doing some sort of inquiry practice, like what is your what is your insight showing you right now? How is that working for you? 
Um, and so that's generally how, how I, um, work with people, uh, when it comes to sometimes if you're working, like say you're working through the fetter model in a very specific, precise way, there are very specific distinctions, um, that, that, that are clarified with, with certain experiential insights, specifically like non-dual realization. It, it's usually pretty obvious when suddenly there's just no sense of boundary anymore at all. And it doesn't, doesn't come and go. That's, you know, that can happen with the self dropping away completely, but it, it often doesn't, it often happens before that. And so sometimes those insights are, I work around those with somebody, if that's what they're working on in this moment, but even then, you know, somebody in that, in that space is probably not worried about like where I am it because the sense of self has diminished so much. It's just more like, what is my experience right now? What is it? What is the nature of experience? And we can work through that. I guess I was asking because in some sense, more than I don't have a reference, but even today I was sort of driving and I wasn't having any thought that was fully in my body. And it was a sense of peace, calm, and my heart was feeling like it was loving, which was unusual actually for me because I'm really in my head. I can be. And I've sort of like now really caught, or at least I'm able to observe it right, quite well. Oh, 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 I'm stuck there, caught there. No. And then as I was right, I didn't want to be anywhere. I didn't have to be somewhere. I was like, what? The? I didn't really even question it actually. But later, you know, I'm like, what? Like, you know, even coming on this, I don't even do this. <laughs> you know, it's just really weird. Yeah, those are those are really nice moments, right? Because like something's tapping you on the shoulder saying, Hey, have you looked at this? Right. And notice, notice this depth of experience that's available because it's always here. Um, without that, I'm not sure we would really wake up because, you know, because sometimes the dream can even be kind of comfortable in certain ways. It is, it is comfortable in its familiarity, but when it becomes, when it starts to become uncomfortable, that's a motivation to, to start to dig in. Or when you have something like that, where it's like, well, okay, that I can't deny the fact that there was a clarity that is very unusual in my experience. I can't deny the fact there was an interconnectedness or a heart-based experience of love or unity uh, that's uncaused, uh, that's not usually in my experience. So those, those little promptings uh, by life uh, um, are, are in my experience are just really nice moments of grace that say, hey, <laughs> you know. Yeah, I get shadowed by doubt, but then also the mind will question, uh, do you want to go deeper? Because this is going to get emotional. This is going to get the repressed stuff going to come up. And I don't know if I can handle that. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yes. Here's yeah. the thing. Here's the thing. You, you, you can handle it. That's the beauty of this. You have the capacity yeah. for it. I know you do, but... But with that said, your mind will tell you at times, I can't handle this. <laughs> your mind will yeah. think it can't handle this. But that's why that's why this initial discernment is really important and helpful. And why I point to this first awakening often, because that really opens up this massive gap and where you you finally realize, okay, no thought is ultimately true. No thought defines me. No thought defines reality. They're thoughts. And so mm -hmm. you have a lot of space to work when you realize, okay, 
there are going to be intense moments with emotions coming to the surface that you just don't want to feel. And your mind's going, you're going to go crazy. You're going to become insane. You're going to be psychotic. You won't be able to go to work. You won't be able to take care of your family. You're, you know, it, it'll, it'll just use whatever it can do to try to get traction. But once you've opened up enough space, you just, it becomes more and more um, frivolous. Well, I think I've had that without observing thought. So that's why I was like, well, if this is how much more will it be? Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, that's the beauty of this is like in this moment, in this, in this, this, whatever this is, there's no more or less, more and less are of the mind. There's no, there's no, there's no, in one sense, there's no need for capacity because there's infinite capacity because there's not, there's no container. So, so there, the, that's what I mean by your capacity is tremendous, but, um, but disidentifying from thoughts more and more and more, everything will take care of itself. That's in one sense, that's kind of your job. Your job is just to to see when you feel like you're getting yourself caught in a, in a thought, a belief, or an identity, all innocently, by the way. We never chose which beliefs to adopt. We we were empathically impressed, and, and through emotional experiences, they were impressed upon us and buried in our unconscious, actually. And then when they start to manifest and play out, and then we can see the thought forms, we might be like, wow, I'm a bad person or something. No, they're just habituated patterns that we adopted totally unconsciously. So it's actually all in, innocent and quite an impersonal process. Um, but the more we're able to disidentify from thoughts and realize a thought as a thought, not, not to become a watcher, not to push thoughts away, but just to realize it's simply a thought, you know, a thought right now that says, God, I must be a terrible person is no more real or less real than a thought that says, gosh, I'm the best person in the world. They're thoughts. They're just movements in consciousness and they ultimately have no real truth to them. Yeah. I was getting that. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. It's a fun exploration. <laughs> Well, I, I get the anxiety, right? That, that, that anxiety and that weight. And then sometimes I get really heavy in the head. I'm really heavy. It draws me right down. It's yeah. Like, Whoa. It's a... Well, that's a good sign because, you know, when, as people disidentify from thought, from, from, from concepts and all that sort of thing, it really does just release a lot of energy in the head. It releases a massive amount of energy from, from that space. And it, it feels like pressure. It feels like headaches at different times. Over time, you'll find modalities, you know, there's, there's the ways to work with that, but, but also you, you will, you'll, your body will just get better at energy management. It will do it far more naturally and spontaneously. Okay. Cause one time I was uh, just quickly, I was doing that sound meditation you got there, seeing the sounds and then my whole body was like, felt like energy, whole thing, energy. Mm -hmm. And then it was overwhelming and my heart went, bam, and I was like, that's enough. And yeah. I got out. Yeah. Is that normal? Yeah, that's, that's, again, that's that strange response where we feel this intense, full-on energetic experience where it's like you, you and the energy aren't too. Uh, and, and then the mind will just whisper in your ear, like, this is too much. I can't handle it. It's over, you know, and it's fine that you listen to it. It's going to happen on occasion. And sometimes it is overwhelming or whatever, but over time you'll realize, oh, that's just a thought. And then the body will just, you know, you'll just continue to feel it and like, oh, okay, well, really there are no boundaries to this. You know, only, only a thought can tell me how much I can handle and not handle. And what if I just don't listen to that? And it's just like, whoa, whoa, whoa. It can be quite something, the energetics of this. Uh, okay. So, so if I can be with it, be with it. Oh, totally. Yeah. Yeah. Just, just be alert to thoughts. Oh, a thought just said that this is going to kill me. Well, right. Why? You know, I mean, this, that's a thought. Here. Yeah, exactly. Thought. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. Cool, cool yeah. man. Yeah. Nice hearing from you. Suzanne may have some other things as well. No, I thought that was beautiful. All right.
Thank you. Thanks for your time. Okay. That was, that wasn't Jeff, I don't think. Jeff, you're up. <laughs> Great. Good. Hey, Angela. Hi, Suzanne. Hello. Um, I feel like I'm coming, I feel like I'm coming full circle on my Angelo experience here. So, uh, um, uh, I've been meditating for about five years, been into non-duality for about two. I sat my first uh, retreat with you, the silent retreat you did about a year and a half ago. Um, and so that was pretty new into my non-duality going down the rabbit hole. And, uh, and I got really into it. I have a huge seeking energy at the time, at the time of that retreat, I had huge seeking energy. So a lot of that has really calmed down. Um, and what I asked at that retreat was about my monkey mind, which just never stops. And so, you know, for fast forward a year and a half to now, I feel like I've made so much progress that, um, you know, I mean, I, I see my thoughts clearly. Uh, I understand that that they are not me. I, I look into the nature of my thoughts and see that they arise spontaneously and that, that no one creates them and no one actually even listens to them. The hearing of the thought is built into the thought itself. You know, all of that, super clear to me. Um, and so even though I've come so far, uh, the freaking monkey mind just never shuts up. <laughs> it drives me nuts. <laughs> um, and so, uh, I, I mean, I, I, I have a, a kind of a predisposition to, to be mind identified. Uh, you know, I've been an engineer my entire life. I go to my head to figure things out. Um, I've had a you know, childhood experiences with a critical mother and emotionally absent. And so I have a very um, strong shame response. And so that's actually uh, contributed to me uh, collecting as much information as I can, because it helps me to avoid situations that might be embarrassing. And so, you know, I've become an expert on everything. Uh, um, and so for me to, to drop out of my mind, um, is just really difficult to do, even though I can see clearly that these thoughts are just arising. Hmm. And so what happens now is when I catch myself thinking, which is all the time, um, you know, I, I either try to get embodied. Um, so I'll just tune into my sense fields. And, you know, usually the, the thought will, will, thoughts will dissipate to a degree. But of course, as soon as I stop that, they rush right back in. Um, and so sometimes I will, uh, I'll look at the nature of the thought, you know, try to make sure I see that it's independently arising and, you know, it just, it just happens. Um, sometimes I'll just try to watch the thought, you know, let the thoughts continue, but to try to create some separation between the thoughts and whatever I am. Mm -hmm. Um, and they all help to a degree for that moment, but then the thoughts just come back. And so like, I'm just constantly dealing with, I'm not getting caught in them so much anymore, but I'm just constantly dealing with the fact that my mind just never stops. And so one of my questions was, um, is there any, do you think that there might be any benefit in my formal practice to maybe focus more on, um, on like a shamatha type practice to cultivate some samadhi? Uh, Cause right now I'm primarily doing uh, natural meditation. Um, and so what I find, even, even when I try to do a samadhi practice, it's like I oftentimes have to use some kind of noting in my mind just to keep it busy. <laughs> so whether this just in, out, or, you know, whatever, if I try to do nothing and just tune into my breath, then there's always some chatter going on up here. And I see it, that's chatter, and, you know, but it just never goes away. 
<laughs> and so if I really want to quiet the mind, I, I have to occupy the mind with something else I'm finding. So I don't know if it would be a good idea to, to pour more shamatha practice in, into my formal meditation. And also in the moment when I'm noticing myself thinking, um, you know, is there one approach that might be more beneficial than another to try to get me out of my mind? Um, so, you know, whether that's just watching the thoughts and letting them float by or whether it's, you know, getting embodied or, or you know, just trying to figure out anything to, to make the monkey calm down. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, okay. So, so a couple of things I'm inclined to say. One is um, that what you just mentioned, should I, should I become the watcher of the thoughts or should I become embodied? It's actually something right in the middle of that. It's, it's in between those two, those two extremes. Um, the other thing I'm inclined to say, or ask you a question is when, when that monkey mind is going crazy, who's not disturbed by it? It's like a koan. Who's not disturbed at all by that? The monkey. The monkey doesn't care. Yeah. Okay. So the thoughts are the, the vines that the monkey's grabbing onto or whatever. In this analogy, the monkey's like is actually not the thoughts. It's your reaction to the thoughts. So the resistance that I'm creating That's is contributing it. to the process. Well, I don't even know if you're creating the resistance, but it's just there, right? So yeah. there's some underlying belief that it shouldn't be this way. That's the whole question you're asking, right? Behind all of this question, there's something that just says, there's a belief that says it shouldn't be this way, right? So part of this, I would say, is accepting like the mind can make all the thoughts at once. I don't really don't give a shit. Like I genuinely don't care. I, I Angelo, I don't care how many thoughts this mind makes. And strangely, having that digested at such a deep level, it doesn't make many thoughts anymore. It it can, but it's it can be very quiet. So um, uh, that's one thing. The other thing I would tell you is there is a sort of practice for this. I, I what I the way I describe it or call it is meditation in pure in unbound consciousness unbound consciousness, meaning a simple way of just is, is just instead of going, okay, what am I going to do in this meditation about thoughts? How am I going to calm the mind? Blah, blah, blah. Don't say any of that. Just go bring on the thoughts. I want to see the next thought, like as closely as possible right now, move your attention directly into the thought. Just when it comes, so it's not becoming a watcher of thoughts. You're not standing back from thoughts. That's step one in disidentifying from thoughts. Step two is the feminine aspect. You have to become completely merged with it. Because once you see that's not a thought, then you don't have to have a reaction. I'm sorry. Once you see that a thought is not reality, you don't have to have a reaction to it. There's still some belief left that thoughts have some pull to them. It's more of a, it's more of a, a visceral experience in, in the thought space. The other thing I wanted to say is you, you seem clear in the sense fields. This is also a sense field. In, in Buddhism, they describe it very clearly. There's the five senses and the sixth sense is consciousness or thought, essentially, right? Mind. So there is a way to meditate in thought. There's a, a way to meditate in consciousness where it's as if instead of take, so, so let me put it this way, to think a thought, to be engaged in a thought, especially identified with the thought such that you don't even know it's a thought, you have to have a distance from it. That's kind of how it works. There's the, you're, without noticing it, we're holding back, pushing and pulling on this thought, then this thought pops. We push and pull on this, then this one pops up and they lead one to another. When we were kids, sometimes we were aware of it because it was like a new thing we noticed in our mind. But as we come, become adults, those thoughts are like super coiled and they're just going constantly. And so we're always holding just a little bit of distance. You can actually reverse that by just orienting to the next thought. And as it arises, it's like you merge right into it. It's, it's like you want to get as close as you possibly can to that conscious substance of thought, whatever it is. It's, a, it's, a, it's kind of a movement rather than a stillness. Um, that's the practice I describe. And, and I, I usually describe it over and over to people and then suddenly they get it and they're like, oh my God, I totally got it. 
And once they do, <laughs> thoughts are never a problem again at all because you can always meditate in this way and it's actually quite enjoyable. So it's moving directly toward every thought that's arising. Expand, it's like dilate your, your awareness in the thought space, in the thought gate. Dilate your awareness in every direction. And it's like just, just completely open, alert, and relaxed to the next arising thought. And what will happen is like your attention just moves into it and it stops often stops arising. It doesn't have to, but it often does. And then it's like, okay, we'll be alert to the next thought and the next thought and the next thought. And then instead of that standing wave of mind identification and thought identification, it closes and it's not a wave anymore. It's like, it's just that pure merged conscious experience. Some people call it PCE or pure conscious, pure consciousness experience. It's, it's a skill you can actually learn. It's a way of meditating and it's quite effortless. Once you do it, it, it feels quite not like a practice. It almost feels like everything else is a practice. Like everything else is an effort to, to make thoughts and believe thoughts and react to thoughts. This is quite the opposite. So that's one thing to, to play with is instead of becoming a watcher of thoughts, become a curious about the nature of the substance of thought itself. What is that space in which they even a, a seem to appear? It's gotcha. weird. So, right? so yeah. So, so when you say you move, when you say you move into it, obviously you don't want to move into the content of the thought, but well, you just want to move into the, the nature thought. of the thought itself, right? Yeah, what, like what's it made out of? The analogy I yeah. often use is like if there's a movie on a screen and you're sitting in a theater and you've been watching the movie for a long time, such that you actually believe those are real characters, those are real shapes, those are real lines that divide the person, divide the person from the background. Like that just seems real to you because those are all symbolic. Your brain understands the symbology, but it doesn't mean that's what's actually happening on the screen. It's not at all, right? That's not what's happening on the screen. The closer you get to the screen, the more obvious that becomes. So as you walk closer to the screen going, well, what is this substance? What is it? And then it just looks like colors flashing and moving. You can't, yeah. you're too far away to pick up the symbology. Then as you get even closer, you realize even the colors are all kind of the same color. They're kind of like light. Then you can turn around, and look directly into the projector. That's what I'm talking about. It's like, pure consciousness experience, pure knowingness or knowingness to put it in like a Zochen phraseology would be Rigpa consciousness, um, uh, consciousness Rigpa, um, or just unbound consciousness unbound. I mean, unbound from the experience of a subject object in consciousness, where you feel like a, a, a conscious one experiencing a thought as an object, you can collapse that through, but you just have to be completely oriented toward thoughts instead of away from thoughts. They won't become, gotcha. they won't become a, they won't become a, an identified experience if you really move toward ongoing moment to moment to moment experientially, right? In that space of the, whatever it feels like to you, a mist of consciousness or whatever. Gotcha. Try, gotcha. try that and out I'll, let me know how it goes. I do notice that some of the thoughts that the, the, the nature of the content of the thought, uh, even though I see it as a thought, um, there's a pull to it. Uh, a lot of my thoughts are kind of rehearsal thoughts. And so, you know, and, and a lot of my rehearsal thoughts are, um, well, there's some people pleasing in there. There's some perfectionists in there. I'm, I'm trying to like, like solidify how I feel about a, a particular topic maybe. And so I go over in my mind over and over and over again. Um, and there's a, there's a, even, and when it rises up and I notice it, there's, there's a, there's like an addictive pull to it. It's like, Ooh, I want to, I want to actually dig into that thought, yeah. not the nature of the thought, the actual content of the thought. And so I'll notice that sometimes I will, sometimes I'll push myself away. And uh, you know, yeah. so that's the only other aspect of it that gets a little bit complicated is most well, of the time I can just, I can see the thoughts rise up, but some of them have a real addictive quality to them. Yeah, I understand. So right now, what's the thought? 
right if now. You, if if you were practicing this right now, what would the thought be? Everything you just said. All that stuff is made out of something. Now yeah. look at, now look right at it. Where is it? Where is it? Right. Oh, all of that? Yeah. Look, yeah. look for it. Put your attention to it, toward it, wherever it is. Where does your attention go? Kind of puts you silent, doesn't it? Yeah, it gets just blank. That's, yeah. Keep going. That's what I want you to do. Now be alert for the next thought. Oh. Okay? That's how you do it. Yeah. Yeah. That thought can be any kind of, doesn't matter what it is. It's going to be a narrative thought about, oh, well, this is how it usually goes for me. Whatever. That's just a thought in this moment. Yeah? Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Cool. That's Got it. it. And you just stay with that. You stay with that. It's really enjoyable. Cool. Very cool. Thank you. Awesome. Okay. Suzanne, anything? Um, let me see. Well, so there's no one there that has ever produced a thought. So the thoughts are just coming up. We don't know what thoughts are. They're pure energy. And they're free to come and go whenever, because it's always been that way. You've never been in control of that. It's not your responsibility to silence them or do anything with them, really. And sometimes there's just more attention here. But equally so, what's going on in, in the body, there's body's just a word, but there's equal energy everywhere. So just notice if there's too much attention here and it's a little imbalance, what's happening here? And you have no control in any of the energies or sensations that are arising here. But they're just free to come and go. Yeah, yeah. I, I have noticed before, uh, or at least, again, more thought, but um, I've noticed how much energy I actually expend in my thinking process. I mean, it just amazes me sometimes when I look at just how active my mind is and I realize how much energy that's consuming. I also catch myself many times, even when I'm relaxing, um, you know, fidgeting, fingers are moving, feet are tapping. I mean, there's just so much pent up energy in me a lot of the time mm -hmm. um, that, uh, and, you know, I've just really started to become more aware of it, you know, in the past yeah. year or so. But yeah, That's beautiful. it's, it's there. Yeah. When you get more, um, this is just a, a word, but when you become more aware of it or more attention is put to it, then it's like, wow, there's like a lot of just movement or antsiness or agitation or, you know, and it's a yeah. beautiful thing. It's that's how it is. You just notice that, wow, there's just a lot of energy in here. So it's going to feel potentially more uncomfortable but you'll get used to it. And it's, um, yeah, it's very normal. Cool. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Thank so you much. very much. Okay. Well, we're at, uh, two hours that went by so fast. So Ooh. much fun. Yeah.
Suzanne, thank you so much. It was yeah. been so good. Thank you too, Angelo. That was great. And everyone who, who shared and is here. Do you want to say how people can find you in case they want to get a hold of you or book something? Uh, yeah, on YouTube, Suzanne Non-Duality. Um, yeah, website, Suzanne Chang. Yeah. Suzanne Chang, one word? Dot net. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Dot yeah. net. Suzanne Chang, one word, dot net. Okay, cool. Yeah. Very good. Well, thank you so much again. And everyone, thank you so much for your questions, your honesty, your vulnerability, and just willingness to come and mix it up with us. It's been a blast. Yeah, really wonderful. See y'all.